Hello and welcome to this July 16th, 2019 sidekick, I apologize, the Law of Success Mastermind Call. I am excited because this is the Keys to Success episode, which will have the whole Establish a Mastermind Alliance Chapter 2 Um It'll be, uh, actually I'm going to do five pages today, five pages tomorrow. And uh, because it's ten pages long. And then I'm going to read ten pages of the Law of Success after five pages of this. So I apologize. I apologize for the confusion in myself. <laughs> so, uh, establish a mastermind alliance. Forming a mastermind alliance, maintaining your alliance, form a mastermind alliance with yourself, cultivate mastermind alliances wherever you can. A mastermind alliance is built of two or more minds working actively together in perfect harmony toward a common definite object. The mastermind principle lets you appropriate appropriate and use the full strength of your experience, training, and knowledge of other people just as if they were your own. You can overcome almost any obstacle you face, no matter what your own education or talents. You can overcome almost any Absolutely any obstacle you face, no matter what your own education or talents. If you use the mastermind principle effectively, that is key. No one has ever attained outstanding success in anything without applying the mastermind principle. No one mind is complete by itself. All truly great minds have been reinforced through contact with others that allowed them to grow and expand, forming a mastermind alliance. For a model of a mastermind alliance to work, consider a train crew. The conductor, you, can take the train to its destination only because all the other members of the train crew recognize and respect your authority. What would happen if the conductor failed to signal the engineer that it was time to start? Passengers would abandon the train and find some other way to get where they wanted to go. If the engineer didn't bother to heed the signals along the track, the resulting crash could cost lives. For your mastermind alliance to function properly, you must give clear, unmistakable signals to your crew. They, in turn, need to be willing to cooperate fully with you. There are four simple steps to making sure this is the case. Step one, determine your purpose. The first step in putting together a mastermind alliance is to adopt a definite purpose for it to attain. Who would board a train without knowing where it went? Obviously, you cannot do this if you have not yet selected your own definite major purpose. You must be certain that the purpose of the alliance is either the same as yours or very closely aligned. If you have already written out your own definite major purpose and the means you will use to attain it, this step will be familiar for you. Writing out the plan for your alliance's success will make you aware of every one of the links of the chain you must forge. Inevitably, there will be links you have neither the skill nor the resources to join yourself. 
just as the con conductor cannot simultaneously con collect fares, work the dining car, and keep a hand on the throttle. This brings you to your second step. Step two, select the members of your alliance. Choosing the people who will help you attain your goal must be done carefully. You may initially select some people who you later decide are not appropriate, and you may discover that there are unanticipated needs for knowledge that must be filled. Trial and error will be part of the process, but there are two qualities to keep foremost in your mind that will help you to avoid too many surprises. The first is the ability to do the job. Do not select more The first is the ability to do the job. Do not select people for your alliance merely because you like and know them. Such people are valuable to you because they improve the quality of your life, but they are not necessarily suited to a mastermind alliance. Your best friend may be the most knowledgeable marketing professional in your area, but perhaps he can introduce you Oh, your friend may not be the most knowledgeable marketing professional in your area, but perhaps he can introduce you to someone who is. I mean, that would be me. No, I'm not the most knowledgeable. The other quality is the ability to work in a spirit of harmony with others. Without harmony, your alliance will falter Perhaps not right away, but at some crucial moment when everything is about to be won or lost. The point is, is that Brand Sidekick is built with the foundational principle of building the marketing team to build the other stuff that I'm doing. You've got to think about things like that as well. If you need a certain thing and you don't have the right people out there you may be the one that you may have to pivot pivot what you're focused on you uh, will find more greater success in that um not you it, it'll be automatic so be careful to jump from thing to thing to thing this is my own thought um but we'll move on the point is the mastermind Andrew Carnegie once told me of a worldwide search he conducted for his chief chemist. His scouts found a brilliant man working for a German firm. His ability was without question. Carnegie entered into a five-year contract for the man's services. Within a year, he had released the man from the bargain. Why? because the chemist was so temperamental that he had an entire department in upheaval. None of the other chemists would, could work with him, and the fellow was so concerned with perceived slights that he spent all his time fuming and accomplished nothing. You must keep any thoughts of discord out of your alliance. There must be a complete meeting of the minds without any reservations on the part of any member. Personal ambitions must be absorbed, subordinate to the fulfillment and successful achievement of the definite purpose of the Alliance. This includes your own. Being clear about your Alliance's purpose will give you a basis for judging someone's ability to work in harmony with it. You may still have to make adjustments in the Alliance's composition, but there are also steps you must take to build that harmony. Step three, determine your rewards. Clearly determined rewards for participation in the Mastermind Alliance are an important factor in its harmony. Determine at the outset what rewards you are offering in return for the work of others, and there will be little room for later recriminations. There are 10 basic motives toward action that can be the basis of these rewards. Self-preservation, love, fear, 
sex, desire for life after death, freedom for mind and body, anger, hate, desire for recognition and self-expression, wealth. Wealth will obviously have the greatest appeal for members of your commercial enterprise, but remember that other motives can play an important role. Recognition and self-expression are just as important as money to many people. Be aware that some of these motives, anger, hate, fear, can twist the minds of your team if you rely upon them. Your best motivator, wealth, must be willingly, fairly, and generously divided among your team. The more generous you are, the more help you will get. Another of the principles of success is the habit of going the extra mile. See chapter 5. It will serve you well if you incorporate it into your alliance from the beginning. Step 4. Set a time and place for meeting. Your alliance must be active to do any good. Establish a definite place and time for regular meetings to ensure that you are making progress in dealing with the issues you face. Your early meetings will likely involve fine-tuning the plan you have made for success, drawing upon the specialized skills of your members. As your alliance matures and harmony grows among the members, you will find that these meetings create a flow of ideas into every member's mind. As you work together over time, more excitement will greet every meeting, and more harmony will arise. Think about a group of sales reps brought together for a conference. They may arrive in general agreement about their goals, but a day or a weekend spent reinforcing their determination, listening to and incorporating their suggestions for the plan at hand, will send them away fired up and eager to achieve their goals. Do not let the regular meetings take the place of frequent contact between the members. Telephone calls, notes, and even conversations in the hallway in a hallway will keep the alliance primed for action when it meets in full so that sudden developments can be addressed quickly. Maintaining your alliance. The harmony of your alliance is built upon the mutual agreement on your definite purpose. But like any construction, it must be preserved with diligent work. That work will be your task as its leader. Your attention should focus on four areas. Confidence, understanding, fairness and justice, and courage. Start on confidence. Confidence is reliance or trust based on proved fidelity which means faithfulness to duty and loyalty to obligations. As the leader of the alliance, you must inspire confidence in your members by your dedication to your definite major purpose. You must also insist within the group on confidentiality. Often it is harmful for members to discuss the purpose of the alliance outside the group. Some people can give away a secret without a moment's thought. You don't need them in your mastermind alliance understanding. All members of the group must possess a complete knowledge and comprehension of the nature, significance, and implication of a situation or proposition that the group faces. You may employ specialists to heighten your understanding of various fields but every person involved must be able to deal with the core issues of every decision. And before a decision is made, each member of your group must be convinced that it is a good decision, one which he or she can support wholeheartedly. Fairness and Justice when you form your mastermind alliance, each member must agree at the outset on the contribution each will make towards your enterprise. Everyone should also be agreed on the division of benefits and profits. Everyone must deal with everyone else on completely ethical terms. No member of the alliance should seek unfair advantage at the expense of others. Otherwise, dissension will arise and completely destroy the association. Courage 
Your alliance must meet danger and difficulties with firmness, resolution, and valor. The courage to do so comes from self-confidence and a well-developed success consciousness. The courage of two separate individuals is nothing compared with that of a united team, just as the power of a single battery is less than that of a group of batteries. This is another excellent example of the power of a mastermind alliance. How the This is another excellent example of the power a mastermind alliance derives from its harmony. The more the minds that are linked together, the greater the power harnessed, and the more the resistance that can be overcome. Tomorrow we'll start with form a mastermind alliance with yourself. So that's it for keys to success today. And now we will go back to the law of success. Now this is kind of goofy and I'm mixing it up, but that's what makes me unique. And I didn't research this as I had planned. So let me see what I can... Read up to page 20. I apologize, just checking some things out. Taking a drink. Okay. Molecules, atoms, and electrons. Now, I believe it says, like, electrons can be both positive and negative, and it's something like they can only be positive. I'm not 100% sure, but if you are interested in that, you should research it yourself. Another thing, if you... Um, <laughs> yeah, research it yourself. And you will... Oh, yeah. You will also hear about it in The Law of Success Mastermind. There is an audio book. I, a really good one. I I think uh, it's available on YouTube. You should buy it. If you like it. It's like 25 hours. Molecules, atoms, and electrons. To understand both the detail and the perspective of the process through which knowledge is gathered, organized, and classified, it seems essential for the student to begin with the smallest and simplest particles of physical matter. Because these are the ABCs with which nature has constructed the entire framework of the physical portion of the universe. The molecule consists of atoms, which are said to be little invisible particles of matter revolving continuously with the speed of light. Revolving continuously with the speed of light, on exactly the same principle that the Earth revolves around the Sun. These little particles of matter, known as atoms, which revolve in one continuous circuit in the molecule, are said to be made up of electrons, the smallest particles of physical matter. As already stated, the electron is nothing but two forms of force. The electron is uniform, of but one class, size and nature. Thus, in a grain of sand or a drop of water, the entire particle upon which the whole universe operates is duplicated. How marvelous! How stupendous! You may gather some slight idea of the magnitude of all the, ne of all the next time you eat a meal by remembering that every article of food you eat, the plate on which you eat it, the tableware, and the table itself are, in final analysis, 
but a collection of electrons. In the world of physical matter, whether one is looking at the largest star that floats through the heavens or the smallest grain of sand to be found on earth, the object under observation is but an organized collection of molecules, atoms, and electrons revolving around one another to unconceivable at unconceivable speed. So I defined electron, and here's what it says in the dictionary. A stable subatomic particle with a charge of negative electricity found in all atoms and acting as the primary carrier of electricity in solids. So it's negative electricity. It's a stable subatomic particle with a charge of negative electricity. Every particle of physical matter is in a continuous state of highly agitated motion. Nothing is ever still, although nearly all physical matter may appear to the physical eye to be motionless. There is no solid physical matter. The hardest piece of steel is but an organized mass of revolving molecules, atoms, and electrons. Moreover, the electrons in a piece of steel are of the same nature and move at the same rate of speed as the electrons in gold, silver, brass, or pewter. I'm not entirely sure if that's true, but... So, they, these are details that you might want to research on your own. Take this with a grain of salt. The 80-odd forms of physical matter appear to be very, to be different from one another and they are different because they are made up of different combinations of atoms although the electrons in these atoms are always the same except that some electrons are positive and some are negative right there yep so they can only be negative meaning that some carry a positive charge of electrification while others carry a negative charge nope they only all carry a negative charge through the science of chemistry, matter may be broken up into atoms, which are within themselves interchange unchangeable. The adiot elements are created through and by reason of combining and changing of the positions of the atoms. To illustrate the, the modest operandi of chemistry through which the change of atomic position is wrought in terms of modern science. Add four electrons, two positive and two negative, to the hydrogen atom, and you have the element lithium. Knock out the lithium atom composed of three positive and three negative electrons, one positive and one negative electron, and you have one atom of helium composed of two positive and two negative electrons. Let's see. Helium electrons. Helium has two electrons and two neutrons, maybe. Helium atom. A helium atom is an atom of a chemical element helium. Actually, let's define atom. Basic unit of a chemical element, atoms as a source of, or an extremely small amount of a thing or quality. That's of no use. Protons. Contains two protons and with either one or two neutrons, depending on the isotope held together by the strong force. Okay, protons, neutrons, electrons. 
Don't be afraid of a little opposition. Remember that the kite of success generally rises against the wind of adversity, not with it. So, no, look at, oh, here we go. Helium, two protons, two neutrons, two electrons, is the atomic number two. It's got a 4.002602 atomic mass unit. So there's protons, neutrons, electrons. Yeah, you need to learn chemistry, not from this book. <laughs> I'm a goofy laugher at times. Thus, it may be seen that the 80-odd physical elements of the universe differ from one another only in the number of electrons composing their atoms and the number and arrangement of those atoms in the molecules of each element. As an illustration, an atom of mercury contains 80 positive charges, electrons, in its nucleus, and 80 negative outlying charges, electrons. So that might not... Okay, so let's look up mercury. Oh, Mercury's number 80. Interesting. So, Mercury's got it's a, a 80 atomic number, a 200.59 atomic mass, 80 protons, 121 neutrons, 80 electrons. If the chemist were to expel... Okay, so let's look at platinum. So platinum's the atomic number 78. So if you can take and remove two of those protons, two of those electrons, four of those neutrons, You can create platinum. If the chemist could go then go a step further and take from it a negative planetary electron, I don't know what that is. The mercury atom would then have would then have lost two positive elect ah oh, jeez, this is a nightmare. Hence it would retain seventy nine pilota becoming gold. Let's look at gold. Gold is 79. Interesting. 79 atomic number, 196.967 atomic mass units, 79 protons, 118 neutrons, 79 electrons. The formula through which the electronic change might be produced has been the object of diligent search by the alchemists all down the ages and by the modern chemists of today. It is a fact known to every chemist that literally tens of thousands of synthetic substances may be composed out of only four kinds of atoms, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and carbon. Differences in the number of electrons in atoms confer upon them qualitative chemical differences, though all atoms of any one element are chemically alike. I'm not sure if that's true. Differences in the number of and spatial arrangements of these atoms in a group of molecules constitute both physical and chemical differences in substances, blah, blah, blah. Quite differences. Different substances are produced by combinations of precisely the same kinds of atoms, but in different proportions. Now, I would like to say that's true, but I'm not entirely sure. You've got to take all this with a grain of salt and do your own research. Take from a molecule of certain substances one single atom, and they may be changed from a compound necessary to life and growth into a deadly poison. Phosphorus is an element and thus contains but one kind of atoms. Well, some phosphorus is yellow and some is red, varying with the spatial distribution 
of the atoms and the molecules composing the phosphorus. It may be stated as a literal truth that the atom is the universal particle with which nature builds all material forms, from a grain of sand to the largest star that floats through space. The atom is nature's building block out of which she erects an oak tree or a pine, a rock of sandstone or granite, a mouse or an elephant. Some of the ablest thinkers have reasoned that the earth on which we live and every material particle on the earth began with two atoms which attached themselves to each other. And through hundreds of millions of years of flight through space, kept contacting and accumulating other atoms until step by step the earth was formed. This, they point out, would account for the various and differing strata of the earth's substances such as the coal beds, the iron ore deposits, the gold and silver deposits, and copper deposits, etc. They reason that as the earth whirled through space, it contacted groups of various kinds of nebulae or atoms, which is promptly appropriated through the law of magnetic attraction. There is much to be seen in the earth's surface composition. To support this theory, although there may be no positive evidence of its soundness. The facts concerning the smallest analyzable particles of matter have been briefly referred to as a starting point from which we shall undertake to ascertain how to develop and apply the law of power. It has been noticed that all matter is in a constant state of vibration or motion, that the molecule is made up, rapid, made up of rapidly moving particles called atoms, which in turn are made up of rapidly moving particles called electrons. The vibrating fluid of matter in every particle of matter, there, oh, in every particle of matter there is an invisible fluid or force which causes the atoms to circle around one another at an inconceivable rate of speed. The fluid is a form of energy which has never been analyzed at that time in 1928. I believe it has now. Thus far, it has baffled the entire scientific world. By many scientists, it is believed to be the same energy as that which we call electricity. Others prefer to call it vibration. It is believed by some investigators that the rate of speed with which this force call it whatever you will, moves, determines to a large extent the nature of the outward visible appearance of the physical objects of the universe. One rate of vibration of this fluid energy causes what is known as sound. The human ear can detect only the sound which is produced from 32,000 to 38,000 vibrations per second. At the rate of vibrations per second as the rate of vibrations per second increases above that which we call sound they begin to manifest themselves in the form of heat heat begins with about 1.5 million vibrations per second still higher up the scale vibrations begin to register in the form of light 3 million vibrations per second create violet light thus this above this number vibration sheds ultraviolet rays which are invisible to the naked eye, and other invisible radiations. And still higher up the scale, just how high no one at present seems to know. Vibrations create the power with which man thinks. It is the belief of the author that the fluid portion of all vibration, out of which grow all known forms of energy, is universal in nature that the fluid portion of sound is the same as the fluid portion of light, the difference in effect between sound and light being only a difference in rate of vibration, also that the fluid portion of thought is exactly the same as that in sound, heat, and light, excepting the number of vibrations per second. Just as there is but one form of physical matter, of which the earth and all the other planets, stars, suns and stars are composed, the electrons, so is there but one form of fluid energy, which causes all matter to remain in a constant state of rapid motion. Air and ether, the vast space between the suns, moons, 
stars, and other planets of the universe is filled with a form of energy known as ether. It is the author's belief that the fluid energy which keeps all particles of matter in motion is the same as the universal fluid known as ether which fills all the space of the universe. Within a certain distance of the Earth's surface, estimated by some to be about 50 miles. There exists what is called air, which is gaseous substance composed of oxygen and nitrogen. Air is a conductor of sound vibrations, but a non-conductor of light and the higher vibrations which are carried by the ether. The ether is, con is a conductor of all vibrations from sound to thought. Air is a localized substance which performs in the main the service of feeding all animal and plant life with oxygen and nitrogen without which neither could exist. The air is a localized substance which performs in the main the service of feeding all animal and plant life with oxygen and nitrogen without which neither could exist. Nitrogen is one of the chief necessities of plant life and oxygen is one of the mainstays of animal life. Near the top of very high mountains, the air becomes very light because it contains very little nitrogen, which is the reason why plant life cannot exist there. On the other hand, the light air found in high altitudes consists largely of oxygen which is the chief reason why tubercular patients are sent to high altitudes. Render more service than that for which you are paid, and you will soon be paid for more than you render. The law of increasing returns takes care of this. Even this brief statement concerning molecules, atoms, electrons, air, ether, and the like may be heavy reading to the student. But as will be seen shortly, the introduction plays an essential part as the foundation of this lesson. Do not become discouraged of if this description of this foundation appears to have none of the thrilling effects of a modern tale of fiction. You are seriously engaged in finding out what are your available powers and how to organize and apply these powers. To complete this discovery successfully, you must combine determination, persistency, and a well-defined desire to gather and organize knowledge. The late Ale Dr. Alexander Graham Bell, inventor of the long-distance telephone and one of the accepted authorities on the subject of vibration, is here introduced in support of this author's theories concerning the subject of vibration. Suppose you have the power to make an iron rod vibrate with any desired frequency in a dark room. At first, when vibrating slowly, its movement will be indicated by only one sense, that of touch. As soon as the vibration increases, a low sound will emanate from it and it will appeal to two senses. At about 32,000 vibrations to the, the second, the sound will be loud and shrill, but at 40,000 vibrations, it will be silent and the movements of the rod will not be perceived by touch. Its movements will be perceived by no ordinary human sense. From this point up to about 1.5 vibra million vibrations per second, we have no sense that can appreciate any effect of the intervening vibrations. After that stage is reached, movement is indicated first by the sense of temperature, and then, when the rod becomes red hot, by the sense of sight, at 3,000, 3 million, it sheds violet light. Above that, it sheds ultraviolet rays and other invisible radiations, some of which can be perceived by instruments and employed by us. Now it has occurred to me that there must be a great deal to be learned about the effect of those vibrations in the great gap where the ordinary human senses are unable to hear, see, or feel the movement. The movement. The power to send wireless messages by ether vibrations lies in the gap, but the gap is so great that it seems there must be much more. You must make machines practically to supply new senses, as the wireless 
instruments do. Can it be said, when you think of the great gap, that there are not many forms of vibrations that may give us results as wonderful as, or even more wonderful than, the wireless waves? It seems to me that in this gap lie the vibrations which we have assumed to be given off by our brains and nerve cells when we think. But then again, they may be higher up in the scale beyond the vibrations that produce the ultraviolet rays. Authors note. The last sentence suggests this theory held by this author. Do we need a wire to carry these vibrations? Will they not pass through the ether without a wire, just as the wireless waves do? How will they be perceived by the recipient? Will he hear a series of signals, or will he find that another man's thoughts have entered into his brain? We may indulge in some speculations based on what we know of the wireless waves, which, as I have said, are all we can recognize of a vast series of vibrations, which theoretically must exist. If the thought waves are similar to the wireless waves, they must pass from the brain and flow endlessly around the world and the universe. The body and the skull and other solid objects would form no obstruction to their passage as they pass through the ether which surrounds the molecules of every substance, no matter how solid and dense. You ask if there would not be constant interference and confusion if other people's thoughts were flowing through our brains and setting up thoughts in them that did not originate with ourselves. How do you know that other men's thoughts are not interfering with yours now? I have noticed a good many phenomena of mind disturbances that I have never been able to explain. For example, there is the inspiration or the discouragement that a speaker feels in addressing an audience. I have experienced this many times in my life and have never been able to define exactly the physical causes of it. Many recent scientific discoveries, in my opinion, point to a day not so far distant, perhaps when men will read one another's thoughts, when thoughts will be conveyed directly from brain to brain without intervention of speech, writing, or any of the present known methods of communication. What about through text messaging, through phones, through all of that? It's quite powerful. It's getting more and more, more powerful. Tonight at 11 p.m., Neuralink announcement. Tonight at 11 p.m., this is the potential for our thoughts just like this. This is, this is like a wizard's hat. I, um, I will be talking more about this on my Tesla sidekick call tomorrow it's funny how this stuff integrates together it is not unreasonable to look forward to a time when we shall see without eyes hear without ears and talk without tongues briefly the hypothesis that mind can communicate directly with mind rests on the theory that thought or vital force is a form of electrical disturbance that it can be taken up by induction and transmitted to a distance either through a wire or simply through the all-pervading ether, as in the case of wireless telegraph waves. There are many analogies which suggest that thought is of nature of an electrical disturbance. A nerve which is of the same substance as the brain, is an excellent conductor of the electric current. When we first pass an electrical current through the nerves of a dead man, we were shocked and amazed to see him sit up and move. The electrified nerves produced contraction of the muscles very much as in life. The nerves appear to act upon... Sorry, I got cat hair on my hand. I had to blow it off. The nerves appear to act upon the muscles very much as 
the electric current acts upon an electromagnet. The current magnetizes a bar of iron placed at right angles to it, and the nerves produced through the intangible current of vital force that flows through them. Contraction of the muscular fibers that are arranged at right angles to them. It would be possible to cite many reasons why thought and vital force may be regarded as of the same nature as electricity. The electric current is held to be a wave motion of the ether, the hypothetical substance that fills all space and pervades all substances. We believe that there must be ether because without it, the electric current could not pass through a vacuum or sunlight through space. It is unreasonable to believe that only a wave motion of a similar character can produce the phenomena of thought and vital force. We may assume that the brain cells act as a battery and that the current produced flows along the nerves. But does it end there? Does it not pass out of the body in waves which flow around the world unperceived by our senses, just as the wireless waves passed unperceived before Hertz and others discovered their existence? Every mind, both a broadcasting and receiving station. The author has proved times too numerous to enumerate, to his own satisfaction at least, that every human brain is both a broadcasting and a receiving station for, by, for vibrations of thought frequency. If this theory should turn out to be a fact, and methods of unreasonable control should be established, imagine the part it would play in the gathering, classifying, organizing of knowledge. The possibility, much less the probability, of such a reality staggers the mind of man. Thomas Paine was one of the greatest minds of the American Revolutionary period. To him, more perhaps than to any other one person, we owe both the beginning and the happy ending of the Revolution. For it was his keen mind that both helped in drawing up the Declaration of Independence and in persuading the signers of that document to translate it into terms of reality. And speaking of the source of his great storehouse of knowledge, Payne thus described it, Any person who has made observations on the state of progress of the human mind by observing his own cannot but have observed that there are two distinct classes of what are called thoughts, those that we produce in ourselves by reflection and the act of thinking, and those that bolt into the mind of their own accord. I have always made it a rule to treat these voluntary visitors with civility, taking care to examine as well as I was able, if they were worth entertaining. And it is from them I have acquired almost all the knowledge that I have. As to the learning that any person gains from school education, it serves only like a small capital to put him in the way of beginning learning for himself afterwards. Every person of learning is finally his own teacher, the reason for which is that principles cannot be impressed upon the memory. Their place of mental residence is in the understanding, and they are never so lasting as when they begin by conception. Every failure is a blessing in disguise, providing it teaches some needed lesson. One could not have learned without it. Most so-called failures are only temporary defeats. In the foregoing words, Paine and the great American patriot and philosopher described an experience which at one time or another is the experience of every person who is there so unfortunate as not to have received positive evidence that thoughts and even complete ideas will pop into the mind from outside sources. That happened to me big time earlier today. Talk about it in the sidekick mastermind. What means of the conveyance is there for such visitors except the ether? 
Ether fills the boundless space of the universe. It is the medium of conveyance for all known forms of vibration, such as sound, light, and heat. Why should it not be also the medium of conveyance of the vibration of thought? Every mind or brain is directly connected with every other brain by means of the ether. Every thought released by any brain may be instantly picked up and interpreted by all other brains that are in rapport with the sending brain. This author is as sure of this fact as he is that the chemical formula H2O will produce water. Imagine, if you can, what a part this principle plays in every walk of life. Nor is the probability of ether being a conveyor of thought from mind to mind the most astounding of its performances. It is the belief of this author and that every that every thought vibration released by any brain is picked up by the ether and kept in motion in circuitous wavelengths corresponding in length to the intensity of the energy used in their release. That these vibra vibrations remain in motion forever. That they are one of the two sources from which thoughts which pop into one's mind emanate. And other sources another source being direct and immediate contact through the ether with the brain releasing the thought vibration. Thus it will be seen that if this theory is the fact, the boundless space of the whole universe is now and will continue to become literally a mental library wherein may be found all the thoughts released by my, mankind. Yeah, I think that could be possible, you know. Certain space, the thoughts, they've got to be washed away. just a theory so tomorrow we'll read page 20 to 30 i want to go back a couple pages because it talks about air being a conductor and how different molecules uh different things get weaker as we leave our atmosphere and i think that might have to do with i i mean some probably know these details but have to do with our um, gravity pulling those to us and then it gets weaker and weaker and it creates this like shell around us this gravitational shell kind of and then it goes into orbit once it gets out of that shell then it's and the thing is even in the atmosphere it's in orbit the clouds go so it's all really interesting stuff but I think it's worth thinking about um, that this law of success really does create thoughts flashing into your mind and your own thoughts could be very interesting uh, if this stuff interests you reach out to me because I'm looking for really um, intelligent like-minded people I'm looking for a billion people so <laughs> If you want to have a higher purpose in helping feed, house, and empower one billion people, reach out. Thanks for being here. TheLawOfSuccessMastermind.com